first of two very special bonus episodes of the Remarkable Retail Podcast recorded live at the October NAX 2022 Convenience Store Conference in Las Vegas. Steve and I were thrilled to be together in person again, thanks to our friends at Marketile, to chat with several of the remarkable thought leaders in the convenience store industry attending the conference. Let's listen in now. Lori, welcome to the Remarkable Retail Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm great. How can I not be great in the middle of all this excitement? What a <laughs> show. What a show. It's our first time Steve and I were talking. We were walking around. Our heads were on like spin in 360. What a show you Well, you've, you've already picked up on it. We tell people all the time, keep your head on a swivel when you walk through here because there is just so much to see. No kidding. So much going no on. No kidding. Yeah, it's an amazing show. And, and about how many people attend a show like this? I was looking like 30,000. Yeah, you know, I... I'm sworn to secrecy. I'm yeah, releasing yeah, yeah, numbers yeah, sure. until after the show, but I will tell you that Historically. We, we are breaking some records. So uh, Vegas is always our largest show. We do the show here every other oh, year, okay. and then we alternate to Chicago and Atlanta in oh, the off okay. years. This is the this is the this is the destination people really like. And wow. uh, how how can they not? I mean, the exhibit space is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really it's really well done. Um, well, we kind of jumped right in. Let's talk about you. Um, tell us a little. Tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself. What's your background and what you do for a living? Yeah. So I. Uh, my name is Lori Stillman. I have been at Nax for three years. I've been in the industry for 35. For anybody doing math, I started when I was nine. I, was I liked say, to, you started I liked, young. Yeah. You started very. Young. I liked to, yes, but uh, you know, I started out on the data research side. So I spent the bulk mm-hmm. of my career with Nielsen. Uh, drove uh, business development for them for North America. Uh, jumped off there, went into the brokerage business back when we called it a brokerage mm-hmm. business, and mm-hmm. worked in military, uh, which was an interesting place to be. Military resale, just trying to really serve servicemen and women across the world, making sure they had access to great grocery products. It's really a great place to be. It's kind of its own little pond. Mm. Uh, and yet, you know, forming brand uh, impressions for young shoppers. And yeah. so it's a really interesting place where a lot of brand marketers really try to do great programming. Um, but then I left. I went to Advantage Solutions. I was there for five years, ran analytics uh, and insights for them. Uh, and then this opportunity came to uh, to join Nax, and I, I couldn't be happier. Uh, I look at convenience as kind of the epicenter of retail change right now. It's something that everybody mm-hmm. is chasing, right? Everybody wants mm-hmm. to offer convenience, and yet we've built an industry around being at the right location at the right time, and yet we too are having to evolve as consumer perceptions and behaviors and demands are being totally driven by digital. Yeah, nothing nothing is left, no industry is left untouched by the, by the changes, the transformations that are happening in Absolutely. industry, right? Absolutely. I tell folks all the time, we like to think of convenience as a place. Mm. Um, but really, convenience has become an outcome of a great experience. And so mm. for our industry, it's how do we evolve to make sure that our experiences are still the ones that they prefer. It's easy to have it come to you. Mm-hmm. How do you get somebody to get out of the car, walk into the store, have a great experience, taste? You know, this is a very mm. tactile industry. Very much so, yeah. And yeah. so we, we've got to continue to protect that and find ways to be meaningful mm. uh, to drive the trips and the baskets that, that our members want. And, and let's talk about NACS for a bit uh, as an association, scope and scale and, and what you cover. And, and are you on the advocacy lobby side as well as thought leadership. Clearly, you're bringing people together here, so that's clearly an important element. Yeah, so the kind of the three planks of the stool, if you will, knowledge, advocacy, and connections. So advocacy is a huge part of what we do. Mm. We are the largest advocacy uh, association for this industry, and we have a lot of topics. I'm sure we'll get into those later, but... And do you work at the national, state, or or the, uh, the municipal level? So we do our advocacy work at the national level. We provide tools and resources at the state level. 
Um, often the kinds of things that folks want to get into at the local municipality level, we can provide best demonstrated practices, mm, okay. but, but often those are more, uh, I don't want to say tactical because they're very sure, important sure. to an operator trying to get But there's zoning zone and different things. And yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, and then we do work internationally, but we do not do advocacy work internationally. So I, I would suspect that uh, probably close to the top from a national perspective is things like credit card swipe fees and things like that, right? That, that affect everyone and Absolutely. has to be adjudicated. At the at basically at the White House or in Congress, right? Right. So, I mean, you mentioned swipe fees. That is right now the top issue on our industry. Um, mm. We've been working on this for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Isn't that amazing? It just mm-hmm. takes. Um, I, I heard a retailer quote me a statistic this morning that I that I probably can't share, but I literally fell out of my chair when he told me what they're spending a year in swipe fees. Uh, and you saw, if you were in the general session earlier, we're, we're talking about it. We've got this ticker running. Uh, you know, by the end of day mm-hmm. four, the, the amount that we will have paid as an industry in swipe fees while people are here um, is, you know, the sales targets a lot of organizations here would Incredible. like to have. That's mm-hmm. very clever, but it's a very clever use of data by the way. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And I, you know, I know there's a lot of, because I do some of that work on up in Canada, there's a lot of, you know, mouths to feed in that payment chain. You know, you, you put in a new touchless thing, you put in a new connection. We probably have a whole episode based on that. I want to sit back just briefly. Tell us a little bit about the scope and scale of the industry itself, like the makeup. So, uh, you know, I, I suspect it's a mix of indies and, and the big players and, and how many people are in an industry and, like, who do you represent? Yeah, so um, so there's 148,000 convenience stores in the U.S. alone. Wow. Um, wow. A major percentage of those are operators with 10 or fewer stores. Okay. Um, okay. And and probably some 90,000 retailers who are single store operators. Right. So it's the, the traditional product curve that we all know, right? So the really big guys drive a lot of volume. But as you get out to the tail, those are the epicenters of so many communities. That neighborhood store is where they get their paper, where they sure. every morning get a cup of coffee, where their kids go when they know they're safe to walk there. And so we serve kind of all levels of the industry, and they're all going through their own various points of change. But uh, it, nationally, uh, in the it, we have membership uh, 1,500 retailers, about 16. 100 suppliers. Uh, we are in 50 countries where we have representation from, and so we do programming not only here but but internationally as well. Not just because it's cool to go to Dublin, Ireland, or go to Singapore, <laughs> but there's some really great retail happening there. Uh, and when U.S. retailers and suppliers have opportunities to experience some of those other uh, venues and really see what's happening and what's coming here next, it's all about you know again those connections and knowledge that we can really you know saying it is one thing, seeing it right something right completely on. different. Right no, yeah, you can tell just by the scope of this event that it's it's a huge, huge diverse industry. So you mentioned swipe fees. Yes. What are, what are some of the other big hot issues that, that the industry is taking on and, um, you know, being debated here or explored here? Yeah. So I think, you know, safety. Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly have seen the landscape of our country change. And so trying to do what we can to help our stores understand the steps that they can take to be a safe place for people to shop, but equally important, a safe place for their employees to want to work. And labor is, of course, a huge issue mm-hmm. for us right now. Uh, we just recently saw, you know, California with $22 an hour minimum wage for, for fast food. That's going to affect our mm-hmm. industry. Uh, and so, if you, if you can find the people. If you can find the people, absolutely, right? This great reconsideration that everybody is having right now where do I want to work? And if I want to work and I'm going to come back into the post-pandemic workforce, 
do I want to do what I used to do before? And so for this industry, we've got to really bring to life all the great things we're talking about, experience, right? Employee experiences are what creates great shopper experiences. So we tell you know our members all the time, like, you've got to focus on the engagement of your people, the opportunities that you're giving them, how you're growing their career, not a job. Uh, so, so labor is a big issue of what we're working on. Certainly, uh, EV. Uh, we're seeing an awful lot of activity right around electrification of vehicles, and so as we create EV opportunities uh, for consumers nationally, uh, we want convenience to have an equal opportunity to have those customers. So, uh, making sure that as programs are being created to incent the creation of electrical charge um, stations for folks to mm-hmm. use. We want our we want convenience stores to have the same opportunity to have those chargers as anybody else. Sure. So I'm going to um, ask you maybe too obtuse a question, but you know you touched on this a little bit earlier, and I was I was down at New Zealand in New Zealand actually speaking to the largest convenience store operator there last week, and one of the things that David Gordon, the guy who runs the group, talked about was convenience as a mindset rather than a channel. Yes. But it also got me thinking, and we touched on this in an earlier episode of the podcast, convenience gets thrown around a lot. You know, sometimes it's convenient for a store to be close to me, right? Sometimes it's convenient for me to get in and out of that quickly. Sometimes it's convenient, you know, to know that I can go there and get what I want and I don't have to make a second trip. Or you're talking about EVs. I can get my car charged, takes 20 minutes, you know, I you know can be shopping. You know, so I, I'm just curious: is, is that is that just like a semantics thing for you, or do you think that there's like a, a thought process around defining convenience in a different way than sort of the standard industry definition? So I think the mindset shift is real, and I think there is no one definition that we're all going to be able to say that's convenience because convenience is very personal, right? And what's convenient mm-hmm. for me today may not be the convenience that I'm seeking tomorrow. And so part of the opportunity is, how do you start to pivot and, and, and diversify the ways in which you can allow, allow shoppers to shop your stores or experience the opportunities that you have? Sometimes they may want you to deliver it to their door. Other times, they've got a kid in the backseat, um, but they're traveling. They want you to deliver it to their car. Sure. Maybe you have a drive through Maybe you have curbside pickup. Maybe convenience is self-checkout because you look over and the line's really long and you've got to get to work. And other days, convenience is I don't have to stop at the grocery store or drugstore because I can get the other things I need here. Sure. So I think it's being really in tune to who your shopper is and the ways in which they want to experience your store and then thinking about how do you bring those to life in ways that are going to drive the right value and economics for mm. your business as well. Mm. Right, and I... And- and um, I think, you know, clearly technology can play a big role or under, other sorts of innovation. What, what, from an innovation standpoint, are you either interested in seeing developed further or you're seeing, you know, innovation make a real difference uh, for your members right now? So I think certainly we're seeing a great um, adoption rate right now of self-checkout. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that helps retailers both solve for some of the labor challenges they have as well as deliver those experiences mm-hmm. that they look for. And whether those are self-checkout on a device or there's a dedicated register in the mm-hmm. store where somebody can check out, that innovation we're seeing retailers really accelerate. And, of course, the smart ones are really then kind of mining what are the experiences that people are gravitating yeah. to one type or another and then being able to target those customers more appropriately. I guess what part of the, the challenge, certainly not limited to the convenience stores, is, is theft. 
and loss prevention and self-checkout, right? So I guess it's that that's a gnarly one for a very a place that designed to come in and out quickly is also designed to come in and out quickly. Absolutely, right? And so you're going to see some of the more interesting implementations of self-checkout where they're kind of in the center hub of the store, mm-hmm. so they're still mm-hmm. a cashier because you don't want to just make it so autonomous that mm-hmm. you never have an experience with the customer. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a big Marriott customer, right? So I've stayed at Marriott's for years, and so I can walk into a Marriott, use my mobile key to check in, go to my room, stay there for three days, come and go for meetings, walk out, and never once has somebody said, hey, Lori, thanks for coming back. We appreciate all the nights you've had, right? And I would just love for that engagement. And so I Mm. think, I always think about that when I think about the convenience operation. Mm. There's times when you want to be interacted with. There's times when you don't. Um, But being able to build the kind of checkout kiosks that allow people to still be seen. And of course, there's all kinds of amazing technology now when you can see somebody coming or going and whether or not they perhaps haven't rung out that that candy bar. But Mm. I think that the value of experience will outweigh the theft concerns given the other technology that's in play. So that's one I think that's real innovation as we see retailers changing that mindset. Somebody has to check somebody out. Right. The other big piece of innovation that we're really excited about is um, just as digital, and we've seen this through the pandemic, um, as people become more and more in tune to shopping first on their devices or discovering what's new and different on their devices, how do we help this industry also have a presence there? Um, So, um, again, convenience stores used to be driven by having the right corner. But I tell people all the time, it's now about having the right asset online so that when somebody pulls out their phone right. and says, hey, Google, where's the nearest coffee shop? You're not being sent to a coffee shop up the street when you have a great coffee offer in your store. And so we're working really hard right now with the industry to elevate that digital presence and manage that. Some might say that's not innovation, but sometimes the innovation of the mindset to say you can be different and you can connect with shoppers when they're not thinking about you, when they're not driving by your store. How do you get them in that zero moment of truth that Lafley used to call? Before they're even thinking about dinner, they're driving by your store and they see this amazing offer. That's great, but if you can catch them before they're driving by to say, hey, not only do we have an amazing offer, you can order it, we'll have it ready, and we'll hand it to you on your way through. So I think it's teaching this industry how to to leverage digital in ways that we haven't historically. What do you think is the... uh you know, the barrier to innovation in many cases, you know, like one of the things that we, we end up talking about and, and I know I, I, I talk about a lot is, you know, sometimes there's a, there's this issue of awareness, right? That people just aren't doing the work. They're not paying attention to what's going on in other industries or, you know, looking at data, whatever, and, and getting that awareness. Sometimes it's an acceptance issue. Like, okay, I know the data, but I don't really believe it's that significant or that's good for the other guys. doesn't apply to me. And then sometimes it's, you know, I accept it, but I don't know how to take action. Or, and I wonder in particular with an industry that's got so many independent and smaller operators, the cost of of putting some of this innovation into place could be a huge barrier, right? So what's your sense of what the barriers to innovation are and and how you might overcome them or, or you're seeing people overcome them? So I think there are barriers in mindset. I think there are barriers in organizational culture. And then I think there are some financial realities. Um, we saw this industry a couple of years ago have to go through and change out all of their gas pumps in order to be compliant with the EV, EMV mandates, right? Hmm. That was a lot of investment. 
$125,000 a gas pump. For, so, so for no incremental sale. For no sales, incremental right. sale, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so, so, so that's innovation that I would not say is easy innovation to implement because at the end of the day, you're putting a tremendous amount of cash outlay for very little return and investment. Um, but there's other kinds of innovation that allow us to do the things that we want to do like be more targeted with our shoppers. Um, mm. Women, getting women into the stores who have, who have historically been underserved by the format of a traditional convenience store. So as we've evolved the food service offer, as we've evolved just better focus and attention on in-store experience, you know, the pandemic was good for us from the standpoint that we had a huge focus on cleaning, brought shoppers in, and all of a sudden they kind of looked around and they went, wow, this a is not... A bit of a discovery moment, right? Yeah, like, the wow, modern this is pretty... Convenience the store, modern yeah. convenience store is not that store that used to be the Cokes and Smokes and, and kind of legacy products. Now, all of a sudden, it's a place I want to come, sometimes linger and have a great cup of coffee and a breakfast sandwich. Other times, I want to get in and get out. And so I think, again, it goes back to who are you as an organization? Who are you trying to serve? If you want to be a gas station and that's really your principal model, then make it all about traffic and throughput and getting people in and out. But if you're trying to be the center of a community, then what are the other programs and solutions that you can implement? We look at Sheets, right? They During the height of the pandemic, they put a program together to feed kids school lunches. Come in every day. You could get a you know, turkey sandwich, a, a piece of fruit, uh, and a beverage, a bottle of water, I think. you know, not, not a remarkable meal, but to many families, it sustained them when they a were not getting meal. Sure. a necessary, necessary meal. But it also introduced people to their brand. It introduced young children to healthy choices hmm. uh, and the payback on that. Thinking differently about how I use my food service program to draw shoppers in as opposed to just generating sales. So I, you know, maybe that's little eye innovation instead of big eye innovation. But I think there are opportunities. But it starts with culture in an organization. Giving people permission to say, we can do this differently, whether it's how we spend, whether it's how we treat our employees. I think one of the barriers, if you will, you know, money aside is we have a very transactional workforce, right? So it's hard to drive change when the people that you need on the front line to be the ambassadors of your brand are turning over often. And so you'll look at the operators who have deep investments in culture. Uh, You look at their turnover versus perhaps some of their competitors and their ability to identify and implement and execute Innovation is far successful than those who are really just churning uh, mm. their their folk, folk, their uh, their organization. So I would say it starts with culture. It starts with knowing who your shopper is, and then thinking about how do you deliver convenient moments to them throughout the touch points that you have. One of the other things that strikes me is a constraint, and maybe this is a very uh, sort of mundane thing, but my observation about in general convenience stores very constrained in space. Right, they've got certain amount of land and maybe it's not so easy to expand got to have a certain amount of parking if you've got gas stations you know right so so just the box itself on a single level is pretty constrained so you're making a lot of choices you know if you try to add more fresh prepared food or wine or whatever it might be something's got to go something's got to go um is, is that a big issue? And and if so, how is there anything that anybody's doing? Like I've seen, I live in Dallas. There's a lot of Seven Eleven experimentation, but you know, they buy a big piece of land and they build something that's twice as big, and that allows them to have a taco stand and you know, absolutely, and great tacos by the way, and hard cider and you know a bunch of a bunch of other things. Um, and I'm not saying those aren't good ideas, but some of it is they've got a lot more space now to add things as opposed to getting rid of things to put in. Um, that sort of offering. I'm wondering if that's, you know, how people are wrestling with that issue. Well, I mean, I, there has to be thoughtful choices made, right? And so 
you have to look, you know, first and foremost, do you have the products that customers want? What are the margins of those products? You know, there's a lot of talk right now around, you know, oh my God, you know, the industry is going to collapse because we continue to have legislative actions that continue to reduce the available offering of cigarettes and tobacco, which has been, you know, historically, historically right? a very core component of our right. industry. Yeah. However, when you look at the margins of a cigarette category versus the margins of another category, there's probably not a retailer walking the show floor right now that wouldn't trade a dollar's worth of a tobacco sale for a dollar's worth of food service sale because of the benefits Mm. that it drops to the bottom line. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to walk away as an industry from tobacco, but I think as that category shrinks, retailers are thinking about what am I going to replace it with and what are the margins associated with what I can replace it with because this industry is changing. Fuel consumption is declining, right? We see trips for the last five years, we've seen trips decline. Mm. So if they're not coming in as often to get fuel... What am I doing to drive them in to create other reasons to drive trips? I guess that, that whole the whole work from home movement as well must have an impact, right? Less people on the roads in certain meal occasions, right? Breakfast it, it and ha- lunch. It has actually had kind of an interesting... Uh, hmm. uh, you know, so it's shifted the day part. So we don't see the same level of morning business. But if you work from home, like I sometimes have an opportunity still to, to do... You still need to find dinner, You right? still need to find dinner. Sometimes you just need to get out and stretch and walk right. walk and go get a fresh cup of coffee in a different yeah. perspective. So creating a place where somebody can come mm. get that cup of coffee and have a conversation, whether it's plugging in and not getting on, on a Wi-Fi, so not on Zoom. IRL in real life. Yes, yeah? yes, exactly. Interesting, interesting. Hadn't thought of it that way. Hadn't <laughs> thought of that way. And then when they're there, you now have an opportunity to bounce mm-hmm. them into the next day part, which I think historically I've seen other industries do that probably better than we do. If you think about, you know, a Starbucks happy hour, for example, you go in in the morning, if you come back that same day, you get $2 off on a drink later in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so, the same opportunities so tactical, to do that in our channel. Tactical connections. Um, so we're, we're early, early on the show for us, not early for you. You've been here like a month and a half already. <laughs> I think you were saying. Um, anything that jumps out at you is kind of trend-wise or observations? I mean, I'm on, walking around, like I said, my head's on a swivel. You've had more opportunity, a bit more soak time, so to speak. Anything jumping out so far? Well, I would just say that the industry is back with a vengeance, right? I mean, it is just electric to walk through um, the show floor. Um, in terms of product, you're seeing a lot more data-driven everything. Okay. Whether okay. that means... Yeah, we're in the tech technology section here right. in the Market Dial booth. I see a lot of... Like, just looking around, it's a lot about data, right? So it's technology to implement for a variety of reasons that are going to improve operational efficiency, customer engagement, etc., but when you walk over on the other side of the building where it's just one massive exhibit after another of a food or beverage or tobacco mm-hmm. or what mm-hmm. have you, pay attention to their booths. Mm. Everything that they're talking about is starts with the data. Who's the shopper? What are the meal occasions they're looking for? What are the ways in which this product is transforming or the category is changing? And so I think the sophistication of this industry, whether it's in how they're buying, how they're managing supply chain, how they're thinking about labor, there's all kinds of amazing mm. technology solutions that are all focused on reward and retention of employees. Um, so this industry is kind of elevating its game, and it's really, really exciting to see. Well, speaking of elevating its game, fast-moving industry, where can people go to kind of get in touch? Uh, are you a LinkedIn person, first of all? For, yes, I am, and I always okay. love to engage with conversations with folks on LinkedIn. My Twitter feed is at CPG Disruption. Oh, um, okay. And then if you want to just check out NAX in general, we are convenience.org yeah. uh, and have a wealth of resources available to anybody who wants to learn more about the industry the ways in which they can get engaged or just better leverage the resources that we have. 
Fantastic. Well, Lori, thanks so much for sitting down with us. It's a very busy time for you, so we super appreciate you taking a few minutes to sit down because I know you're going to be run off your feet and looking forward to the end of the conference because that will signify a nice big accomplishment. Congratulations. I wish you much continued success to the industry as well, and thanks so much for joining us on the Remarkable Retail Great. Podcast. And thanks for, for bringing Remarkable Retail to next. If you like what you heard, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, so you can catch up with all our great interviews, like our discussion with Seth Godin on what retailers can actually do to fight climate change. New episodes of Season 5, presented by Marketile, will show up each and every week. And be sure and tell your friends and colleagues in the retail industry all about us. And I'm Steve Dennis, author of the best-selling book, Remarkable Retail, How to Win and Keep Customers in the Age of Disruption. You can learn more about me, my consulting, and keynote speaking at stephenpdennis.com. And I'm Michael LeBlanc, consumer retail growth consultant, keynote speaker, and producer and host of a series of retail trade podcasts, including this one, plus the host of the popular YouTube cooking show, Last Request Barbecue. You can learn even more about me on LinkedIn or meleblanc.co. Safe travels, everyone. <laughs>